I'm Stephanie Belcher. And I'm Del Belcher, and welcome to Two Peas in a Podcast, a relationship advice show from two people who like each other very, very, very much. Stephanie. Delbert. How you doing? You always ask me how I'm doing, so I wanted to beat you to the punch. How are you? I don't have feelings, just thoughts, so I just exist. (laughs) What? I don't know I don't know what to do with that. No, what did someone say to me? Someone that we know and that's in counseling is like, Oh, you just make logic out of all of your feelings. That's what you do. I think there's a clinical thing for that. I don't know. Huh. Well, you're you're looking very good. So I, I was I was offended and felt angry, but I turned it into logic and punched her in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, uh, yeah. that was good. But you're looking good. Yeah. So you I, are you are pregnant. You are great with child, <laughs> like Mary in the Bible. Uh, so I'm 38 weeks pregnant. 39 as no, time of release time of release of this podcast oh yeah by the time this comes out it'll be 39 and 25 something percent of women give birth by the end of week 38 i think it is that's the running percentage we could have a baby right now when this no, airs are you no. feeling contractions in this moment in this moment i am feeling contractions <laughs> you are well, i hope you're okay are you feeling nauseous are they back contractions <sighs> All I know is that I'm feeling real fat and plump and just ready to pop. I'm feeling, you know what? I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling big and just ready to go. So the interesting thing that I found about being pregnant and because I work and I work for a place that has a lot of people is that the more pregnant I become, the more people like to speak to me about my body and my pregnancy and how I'm doing. Well, I feel like pregnancy is a double-edged sword because on one edge, you can literally rob a bank and no one would do anything. <laughs> like, you do, you get away with so much crap being pregnant. It's hilarious. People automatically assume I'm nice. It's really funny. <laughs> but the other side of that sword is that being pregnant means that I can literally say whatever I want to you about your body or you how you look. Which is, fu- I thought it was funny, because that's why I was saying, like, if if you had embraced somehow the twisted stuff people say to you, it would just sound so messed up. Well, and so I've had a lot of my friends get pregnant, and I've seen a lot of pregnant women in the workforce, and so I feel like I, going into it, I knew that people say things to you, and people say really offensive things, and people make comments about your body that, whatever, so... I feel like I've done a really good job of taking everything with a grain of salt. Just let it roll. People, I don't think most people are trying to be deliberately mean. Yeah, I don't, no one. I don't think that. I personally don't feel that anyone's trying to be malicious. No. But just because you're not being malicious doesn't mean you can say whatever you want. (laughs) But. Because the stuff is really weird and not something you'd say to like anyone in a normal situation. But I had the first time where I was offended. (laughs) Most of the time I'm like, oh, well, whatever. However, I was at work, and there's this woman who I don't know, and I was getting on the elevator, and this woman looks at me and says, I don't see you for months, and now I see you, and you're big, and fat, and huge, and pregnant. Oh, that's so cringy. <laughs> so cringy. 
It was a long Ooh. ride to the 10th floor, let me tell you. <laughs> because I, I, you know, I hadn't been sleeping well and I've had Braxton Hicks for three days. And so my mood was... For those that don't know, Braxton Hicks are contractions that aren't really contractions. And so, like, I'm healthy. I'm good. I'm happy with my life. But you get a little bit tired. So I think normally I would have tried to make a joke or play it off. But I was so tired that... She and I just rode in silence for 10 floors. Steph, I know you love and solicit advice, so here it comes. Next time someone says something like that to you, you should, Chris Farley style, just embrace it and be like, Oh yeah! I'm fat! I'm so fat! You're right! Look at my belly! Oh yeah! I just didn't know what to do with it. I was like, wow, big and fat and huge and pregnant. I'm big and fat and huge! You're right, lady I don't know or ever talk to! That being said, overall, most people are really good, and pregnancy overall has been decent. Yeah, you're doing pretty good. It's been on and off. It's been on and off. So, this is Two Peas in a Podcast. It's a relationship show from two people that like each other very, very much. The first part of our podcast is P's and Q's, where we take a question from you, our pod squad, and talk about it. And then the second part is The Split where we take a relationship article torn from the headlines and talk about it. And talk about it. And so here is that first part, the the P's and Q's, where we get that question from our friends at the pod squad. And uh, I think we got a good one. Normally we do stuff that's that's like um, relationship, like lover, dating, relationship. This one is a little different. It's kind of moving to the workplace relationships. And I think you're going to have some great input. It has. It's not. What do I do if the lady says I'm big and fat and pregnant? It's uh. It's a little different. Oh, okay. It's gonna be good. And here we go. And scene. And scene. That ends it. Sorry. You <laughs> oh, go. start scene. When is it worth addressing issues with a person who has offended you in some way versus letting it go? Example. I have a coworker who consistently makes elitist statements directed at the place I live and the class of people I was raised in, and I want to clap back, but. I know that's not always the best decision. I know that all relationship experts say it's best to be direct. I mean, that's even in the Bible. But sometimes the conflict doesn't seem worth it. What should I do? I know what this is like. I know what this is like. Um, For example, um, have, if you've ever been around like slightly racist relatives... Yeah. Or parents or friends' parents, and they're just kind of going off, and you're just like, well, I don't know what to do. Um... I guess they could be aggressions or microaggressions when someone's just sort of saying generalizations that you know aren't true. Like, how do you deal with that? When's the best time to say, mm-mm? Or do you just clap back and be like, well, actually, what do you think, Steph? That's really hard. I think with... Sometimes there, I think... I mean, I didn't know... that this was going to be the question before I told the elevator story. But part of me... Okay. Okay. So when we got baptized, mm-hmm. we are talking to our friend, the pastor, well, Dave, and I told him that I was really worried that people were going to be judging me while I was getting baptized. Mm-hmm. And Dave said one of my favorite things. He said, when people say things to you that are offensive, it's their issue. It's not actually you. And then he said... Every time someone says something offensive, it's them de-assholifying themselves. Ooh. And I thought that was one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. And so 
now when people say a whole things and all of the all of us say something mm-hmm. jerkish at one point mm-hmm. but now i try to think this is just a part of me or a part of them where they're being a jerk and them saying it out loud is god working through them to hopefully improve that yeah so with the lady in the elevator part of me rode in silence to let her know like she had to ride for 10 floors she said that to me she had to ride for 10 floors knowing she said that Mm -hmm. and like there's nothing i needed to say in that moment because i let the awkwardness of it sit there and if she didn't feel that i'd be very surprised yeah and i think what i'd add to that is that you don't have a responsibility to change their mind you do have a responsibility i feel as a person to not be an asshole back to them. I agree. With but you. I think that you don't have a responsibility to make them feel better about them knowing that they said something stupid. Like you don't have to be like, oh, you don't have to play along. You don't have to be like, oh yeah, you're right. Ha ha ha. Just to like make it not awkward. Placate. You don't yeah. have to placate them for it to not be awkward. But you shouldn't be mean back. Uh, but I would I would say that what you you did in that tactic is really good. And maybe in this situation, the silence of like I've been in work situations where a boss will say, some of these people are blah, 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 right? And you're just kind of like, and you just don't say anything. <laughs> and it, it's like, oh, well, maybe not everyone agrees with me in this in this room. And maybe I am wrong. Um, as opposed to being like, well, actually, because while you might be correct, doesn't science prove that trying to correct someone actually doesn't do anything <laughs> most of the time? Well, I think there's a few things that you could do. So if this is someone you... I mean, this is a lady I see in the elevator once every few months, so mm-hmm. whatever. So you saw her every day. But you're talking about someone you see every day. I think the first thing I would do is try to reframe it in my head to understand that... Not that you aren't doing this already, but understand that it's their issue. They're the jerk. They're being an a-hole. And generally, most of our insecurities come out in sentences like that. Mm -hmm. Like people that make fun of people that are overweight are really just insecure about ever becoming big. Mm -hmm. And people that are insecure about being, that make comments about being elitist are probably insecure about losing all their money Mm -hmm. and status. Mm -hmm. So this is probably coming from a place of fear. Mm -hmm. And so like trying to view that coworker as someone that's scared and their statements are actually coming from a place where they feel powerless will probably give you a moment of needed empathy. Yeah, and how and yes, and what I would that's do. Step one. That's I step think one. More the steps. second one is because there are situations where it can keep happening, and it does. It can it feel annoying. well. It can feel annoying, and if it's you know, in this question, the question asker says like about the status in the class that I grew up in. Yeah, you know, so that is, that is personal, mm-hmm. and so what I would what I have done in the past, and what I would do in that situation. Is if it keeps happening, I would say one-on-one, like, not make a big deal of it, not set up a meeting on the calendar, but just being like, and, like, I've, I've literally done this with, with bosses before. I'm just like, hey, I know you said this. I just want to let you know. I, I'm i not saying that you're wrong or right or anything. I'm just saying that this is my experience in that situation. And what you said, like, hurt my feelings. And I didn't appreciate that. And, oh, okay, cool, sorry, Move on, you know? And if you have a good manager, good people can still say stupid stuff. Yeah. Um, I've said stupid stuff. And that's why there's human resources if it doesn't work out. But uh, if it does, hopefully you have a good manager, then 
then it'll move on. Like I've had someone, I had a boss mention something about my weight. I'm not super overweight. And even if you were, no one has a right to make comments about your body and there's nothing wrong with being overweight. Right. I'm not, I'm not overweight. I mean, on the BMI, I'm, I'm on the obese scale, but like, yeah, even if I was, who cares? And my boss had mentioned something about that and like had done a couple other times about me like working out or, or getting fit or whatever. And I have struggled with my weight for a long, long time. And I did like right after that happened, like my boss went to their office. I went in there and was like, hey, you said this. And then you said it a couple other times. Like I, that's something I actually struggle with and it really hurt my feelings. And like, I know you may have thought of it was a funny or a joke fine cool but that i don't that doesn't make me feel good and like i want to work in an environment where i can you know feel secure and this boss said like oh sorry and has never brought it up again and that's that was cool like that was nice to see it was unfortunate that they said the thing but sometimes we need to de-assholefy ourselves and then you can address it if it's getting to that point where it's making you unable to work and feel comfortable at work you do need to say something about it I agree with you, and I think if you're, you know, I think you can always try an indirect approach and then a direct approach, depending on the frequency of it and the topic, because this isn't, you kind of are on, being elite and making comments like that is a weird thing. Like, if they were making racist comments or sexist comments, that I'd probably escalate quickly. Yeah. This is kind of one of those topics that's, like, on the borderline of annoying and it's just like douchey and stupid yeah but i think there's two other tactics you could try before you escalate it to being direct Mm -hmm. and i think something that you could try is if you first of all like you can ignore it blah 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 blah. but i probably wouldn't i think i would try to reframe it whenever they were negative if they started making a lot of negative comments about okay i grew up a hick i grew up in a small town (laughs) And I loved it. And the town we live in now, people like to poop on. And so when they do, I try to say something positive. When people say, Jackson, Michigan sucks, I try to say something like, I love it. The roads have gotten a lot better. The hospital system I work for is fantastic. And I think it's great. Mm -hmm. And so I think when they're being negative, you could try to be positive and say good things about it because that de-escalates them and lets them know that you're not inviting more criticism. Yeah. And it gives them, maybe they don't know anyone from that class personally. And if they can identify you as someone from that and that you kind of break their idea of what that is, like that might actually be a good thing for them. I know I grew up, I was homeschooled growing up and people think homeschoolers are like super weirdos. And I am not, I'm not that super weirdo, I don't think. And so when I was able to tell people like, oh, I'm homeschooled. I've been in situations where people have been bashing on homeschooled people. And I say, oh, I was homeschooled all the way through high school. And people say, oh, huh, <laughs> tell me about that. And I tell them about that. And we've had some really good conversations. And people say like, so you like had grades and stuff? I'm like, oh yeah, we did everything. I played sports. I went to prom. I did band. I did all that stuff. Um, and I turned out like a normal contributor to society. So there, there you go. Um, I, I do think that having a... Not a confrontation, but a conversation uh, eventually is a good idea. Well, and I think something that Dell is kind of doing with that. So I think, you know, you could escalate it to your boss. You could try to make the conversation positive. You could understand that it's them and not you. I think you could also question them on it indirectly. 
So the next time they say something, you could say something like, I noticed you make a lot of comments about where I live and where I came from. Can you tell me why you do that? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, I think the way you bring that up is all in the tone. Oh, yeah. It's all about tone. Because you could do like, I don't get your joke. I don't get it. Can you, I don't, what? I don't get it. So I think you could deliver it like, <laughs> I noticed you make a lot of comments about Jackson and where I grew up. Can you tell me why you do that? And mm-hmm. that way, like, maybe they don't even know that they do it and it gives them a chance to reflect on it. It's what I call, it's what I call intentional dumbness is yeah. when someone says something, you're like, I don't understand. You do understand. But you say you don't. And it makes people think. It makes people think. You kind of go into it genuine and... uh can you explain that to me? Can you take that a step further for me? Um, but that's, you know, that's just another way of kind of dealing with it. That's a tactic my old boss used to do with people because people would say a lot of things like that to the group I worked for and it worked well for us. Mm-hmm. But I do think if the comments get so bad, and I've been in this situation, I at work I had someone, I, when we talked about narcissism, we talked about this. Mm. I had someone at work do something that was... HR level that needed to be escalated quickly. And so if this person has power over you, like they are your boss or something like that, and these statements are getting out of line, I think it's totally okay to go to your boss or to human resources. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Just to cover, just, I mean, just to like let them have your back so they kind of know what's yeah. going on. Well, and there's that too. Like at one place I worked, I had someone who was saying things that were sexually offensive to people. Whoa! And so I went to human resources because at that point, that person is a liability to the company and to your personal safety. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think the question asker does say that, like, where's the line? When should I start doing this? I think when it comes to the person individually, you can do whatever you want. Um, And if you don't want to, and it's not, you don't feel like it's too big of a deal. If they're starting to make it an uncomfortable work environment, like you're getting paid to do a job. They are paying you your skills and your talents to work in an environment where you can be productive. And if this is causing you to not be productive, to not be creative, to not be your best, like you are contractually obligated to give your best. And if you can't do that because of them, like that's definitely a huge issue. And you should definitely uh, start talking to someone about that. Yeah, I think that's good. So you think you think we covered all the bases there? Yeah. If anyone else has any other ideas... Being in the workplace and dealing with comments and people can be really hard. So I'm open to any feedback because there's probably a ton of good ideas. Well, and it is hard because whether you, they have power over you or not, your people at, they're at least going to be there for another two weeks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because they're not. You can't just quit. You can't just quit. Got to put in your two week notice. Be respectful to the to your workplace. Um, so like you're, people are going to be around. So you need it is it does make it awkward. But I do think. Um, bringing out the truth and bringing out the good stuff. In the end, good people, kind people will win. You just have to go about it the right way. And I think we have some things that have worked in our lives for us and our experience, and hopefully they can help you. Yeah, yeah. Pick whatever works for you. You do you, boo. You do you. You do you. So hopefully that was helpful. I think it was very much so. And if you have any questions or would like to add to that conversation, wherever we've posted this, uh, whether it's Stitcher or on Facebook or Twitter, you know, let's let's hear what your advice would be to this situation. When do you, when do you draw that line to where you need to talk to the person about them saying dumb stuff to you about 
<laughs> your background or or other people's backgrounds or culture. Like, where's that line? Uh, and we'd love to hear what you have to think about that. So do that at facebook.com slash groups slash podcast or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast. And you can also email us any comments or questions or any other further thoughts you might have on the matter at, fa- at uh, contactppodcast at gmail.com. So, Stephanie, that brings us to... The Split, where we take a relationship article torn from the headlines and talk about it. I'm ready to talk. Oh my gosh, I just realized this. So speaking of elitism, Uh this article is from the Harvard Gazette. Harvard. And it's from... uh, from Are 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 Harvard people elite people? Is that elitists? I don't. I don't. Know. I don't know. I don't want to be elitist towards elitist. That's just elitist. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. That was good. Okay. Thank yeah. You. Harvard. They do good research. So this was written by Liz Manio, and it's from 2017. Liz Manio. And the article is called "Good Genes Are Nice, But Joy Is Better." Joy. Now these are talking about the my favorite pair of clothing, my pants jeans, right? That's right. Those <laughs> apple bottom jeans. <laughs> Those Levi Strausses. Strausses five one fives, baby. So Harvard. <laughs> Harvard. <laughs> no. Har- uh, say it like a normal person. Harvard. <laughs> it's pronounced Harvard. Okay, so the research they did was actually really cool and interesting. Okay. So they studied, starting in 1938, they studied 238 Harvard sophomores. It's the same. They weren't sophomores since 1938. It was 238 like, they, sophomores. They're very bad at school. Super bad. <laughs> and this is getting expensive. And so they studied these. It's, it's weird that none of them graduate. Weird. So in 1938, they started studying these 238 group of men. And they were studying their physical and mental health. So they started as sophomores, and as they got older throughout life, they kept track of them. Correct. It was a longitudinal... So they graduated, they maybe got married, maybe went to war, maybe started a company. They just followed them through. Absolutely. Okay. So they followed these men for 80 years. Wow. The ones that were still alive. So, side question. When that happens, who's in control of the research project? Because I'm pretty sure Benjamin Button over here isn't, like, running research. Yeah, there's not a 150-year-old professor that's just... (laughs) Usually they house it underneath a department, and then they make sure it's passed. So this is, like, the project that this department's working on long-term. Yep. Okay. So they try to set it up to succeed over time. Or researchers are just very long-living. Well, maybe they followed the advice of this study. <laughs> um, so of the 238, 19 are still alive. And of the 19 that are still alive, they're all in their mid-90s. Oh, wow. Cool. And two famous people that were in the group are the uh, editor of the Washington Post, former editor Ben Bradley, and JFK. What? Yeah, I know. He was in it? Yeah. Cool. He, he was the president. I that was pretty good. Uh. So a long time, along as time went on, they added people to the study. In the 1970s, they added 456 Boston residents. Um, and then they also started tracking the 1,300 children of the original 238 people. 
holy cow. Yeah, so two, the 238 had 1,300 children in You know, total. my first thought was like... Or offspring. They said offspring. Off- <laughs> which is a weird word. Wait, does offspring also include grandchildren? Because that could. would make that number more. Okay, so it's their offspring, not their children. Isn't children offspring, though? I don't... I think anyway. that's kids. Um, at first, my first thought was like, oh, this is a very invasive kind of creepy study. And then I was like, let me ch- check Facebook. Um, and so I think that pretty much any activity I do on my cell phone is probably going to be way more invasive than this study. So this study probably was kind of invasive. So what they did was over the course of time, they followed their lives and they asked them about their health their triumphs, their failures, their careers, and lessons they had learned. Like an annual thing you got on your birthday or you something. You know, I didn't double check the frequency often. They checked in with them, but it was enough where they had data for decades. Wow. And so this article is fairly long. If you want to look at more research done on this study, there's a ton of it. But the, we're going to talk about one thing today because we talked about happiness in the last episode. And I figured, why not do it again? Oh, Yeah. And so the number one thing that they found was how happy we are in our relationships has the most powerful impact on our health. Oh, cool. So happiness makes you healthier. Yes. Nice. So they found that our bodies and our genes are important for determining the health of our lives and how long we'll live. Mm -hmm. But more important than money or fame or good genes, it's that... Our relationships keep us happy. And that keeps us healthy. Yes. Oh, man. That's so cool. I love that. And so the specific relationships that help the most are just close relationships. Wow. So if you have good friendships, if you have good marriages, good whatever, those close relationships keep people happy. And then if you're happy, it delays a bunch of stuff. That's that's crazy. We did the one a couple weeks ago about how like if we're close together and touch each other, it like reduces pain. And now we're talking about if I have some good friends, I will be healthier just by having friends. Like that's so cool. So they found that a few things that close relationships did. Obviously, they keep people happy. They delayed declines in mental or physical health. They found that people with close relationships, they having close relationships was a better predictor of having a long and happy life more than genes, your IQ, or your social class. Wow. And that they found that your satisfaction with your relationship at age 50 better predicted your physical health than your cholesterol. Whoa! So you could have high cholesterol at age 50, but if you have really good relationships... Might be healthier. What do you think that's attributed to? Just like that eternal hope of like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go hang out with Brad today and I'm looking forward to it. And that keeps you going? Or what is it? Some, you know, sociology girl over here. I think people are social and we need each other and we need people to help us. And I think no matter what you're going through, as long as you have good people, you're happier. Well, yeah. Well, and here, let's put it this way. If we moved into this house, and if I had to move our stuff by myself, I would have died because (laughs) everything is very heavy and there's so much. But I had friends, and they came, and they helped, 
and I'm here here to talk about it. So I think that's just a very small example of how having friends helped me physically. And I just think of that compounded over time. Like exactly. if you're doing, and like I know I said the first part kind of have like be a joke, but literally think if every single hard situation that you had, like whether it was mentally or like health wise or out in the workforce and you did not have anyone to support you through it, like think about that. Think about moving your house by yourself and moving it with friends and then think about that as your entire life. Yeah. That's like just thinking about that right now. It just I feel the weight lift off of me knowing that I have a good network of people in my life. Well, and I just agree with you. I think something that happened. So my going back to pregnancy, my first trimester, I was just so sick that yeah. I didn't feel like hanging out with friends a lot because I was so scared. Well, you were, I was gonna you get were sick. sleeping. It was it was rough. And I noticed how sad I got mm-hmm. and how depressed I started becoming because I couldn't see my friends. So I was like, okay, as soon as I feel better, I need to see people like once or twice a week. But then I also noticed, so. People have been really good to us, and mm-hmm. people have taken really good care of us. We've had five baby showers. Which is way a lot. That's a lot of baby showers. And when I had my first baby shower, I had like a nervous breakdown beforehand because I was so nervous. You thought no one would come. I was. I just get freaked out about yeah. stuff like that. But then after the baby shower, I'd never felt more loved in my entire life. It, it changed you. Like, I left to go hang out with a friend, because this was an all-ladies shower, and you were like, oh, I don't know, and I, your friends were here to set up, and I went downstairs, and I was like, just so you know, Stephanie doesn't think anyone's going to come. You, can you try to take care of her? And they're like, oh, yeah, we got this. And then I come back, and you're, like, glowing, and you were, like, so full. And the thing was, like, it's not the stuff we got. Like, it is, it is really nice getting physical stuff, because I... When we did get a onesie or a book, it made me feel like our friends were surrounding us with love. But more of it was just people sitting around, like, just telling us that everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And I felt so supported. Anyway, so, like, going through that experience, I just feel safer having a kid, knowing we're so well supported. And I feel happier and loved. So, thank you, everybody. (laughs) Single (gasps) tear. There is a tear coming down your side. See it. (laughs) Maybe I have feelings. (laughs) Let me think about it. (laughs) I'll run some research on that. Uh, But they closed with a killer quote. Killer quote. So the quote is, loneliness kills. It's as powerful as smoking or alcoholism. Whoa. Drop the mic. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So if you're struggling with loneliness, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, but finding I, people can be really, really helpful. It can be. It can be. I, I will say there are things like depression and things like that that are very real. And just yeah. getting some friends isn't going to magically make depression go away. Yeah. But it seems like according to this, it doesn't matter if you had depression or not. It doesn't matter what kind of money you made. It doesn't matter what was going on. If you had a group of friends, you were going to be more healthier and live longer. Yep. That's crazy. Wow. Thanks. I'm feeling super excited now. Thanks, Harvard. (laughs) I feel like I should mention it is, you know, a study of a very specific group of people. It's 238 men from a specific, probably social class or something. So, you know, there's some sample issues around that. That being said. 
yeah, just I be, think it's still good stuff. It's a couple hundred people, and even even if you're all from the same like class, not everyone's going to end up in the same spot, and different people could end up not being happy. Yeah, but overall, close relationships. That's where it's at. That's right. So good. That's so good. Now, if you would like to share about your very close relationships and how they have positively impacted your life, or looking to maybe join a fun group of podcast listeners on your on your uh, on your own time, you can go to po- con- you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash pew podcast and there you will find an amazing group of wonderful people who listen to this show and are probably really awesome they are awesome i know it because i know most of them in there and they're super great uh so yeah find that group be a part of it live longer be happier join our group on facebook there it is. Uh, and if you want to, when you got a minute, go check out our show on uh, uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or SoundCloud or even Google Play Music. We are all over those places with our podcast. You can give us a review. You can share it with your friends. Spread the word of the pod squad. We'd also like to shout out to our podcast family at Elite Podcast Network. Thanks for having us as part of your crew. And you got to check them out. And I think... We are countdown to baby time. Uh-huh. It's getting there. It's getting there. We're going to do a live podcast from the labor and delivery room. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's going to be fun. So we're excited to kind of keep you updated on how, how things are going with that. But uh, that's our show for today. We are Two Peas in a Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And Stephanie, do you have anything else for us today? We hope that after listening to this podcast, you learn that you can like each other very, very, very much.